Blog Talk Radio. From the Windy City to your city, courtside, the matchup you've been waiting for. A field of dreams for some and a long ride home for others. Sounding so good through the air, it's like you're right there. Folks, you want to score? People, she's got your game. It's the Maya Kai Show, featuring comedian Nikki Braden. She is pretty funny with your host, Maya Kai. Radio never looks so good. Monday, happy Kazmir Pulaski Day. We'll find out a bit more about that. <laughs> Probably means you have a whole bunch of people running around your house if you have kids, and maybe you don't know why, like many of us didn't. So we'll make sure we get into that in a bit. But how the show is going to unfold is always what's trending, hot topics and headlines everyone's talking about. We have local, national, sometimes international focus. Maybe the Kazmir Pulaski thing will bring in the international side of this. And then we'll wrap up the first hour with a rewind. Um, those topics we, we spoke of that may have some new developments to them. Then we'll kick off that 1 o'clock hour with the fringe. Say what? And we have a couple things in the say what that really makes me scratch my head. Also, point of view, FYI, will be in that first hour. And then we'll wind everything down. That's how the show is going to unfold. As always, you're welcome to join the conversation. Without you, there's no show. 310-8075-211. You're welcome to get social with the show. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Maya Akai Show. Nikki, if they want to connect with you, how can they do so? Happy Monday, everybody. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. I am Nikki Braden, the Nikki Braden on Instagram, and the chat room is wide open for your Monday comments. All right, so we are here officially to help you kick your morning up to the midday. And if you're at home, you're probably like, no, I want to stay exactly in this holding pattern. And it's beautiful weather. So it's yes. actually a pretty good Monday. You have some great weather. I think it's going to be, what, in the 50s? And if you're off work, yes. you can't beat this. That, that's, that's a good thing. All right, so. Consistency. We are celebrating the Pisces in our zodiac sign that goes what from February nineteenth to March twentieth. So what is in store for Pisces today? All right, my fellow Pisceans. Here we go. You have friends in high places who are just itching to reach down and give you a hand up the ladder. Whether it be corporate connections, a great stock tip, or just some been there done that advice that you could really use to pull you over the hump. So the million dollar question is how come you're not letting them help you? This pride thing has gotten out of hand. It's one thing to not want to appear needy in front of people you admire, but it's quite another to sacrifice your progress for your ego, which is directly to me because I hate asking anybody for a piece of gum. I can't uh, well, stand it. <laughs> I don't like that, too. I, I don't like asking people hate for nothing. It. So uh, I, can, no. I understand that. One of the biggest things about maturing is when you do understand when you need to ask someone for help. That's a that's a big growth point for a lot of yes. people. Now, mind you, then you have people who ask for help with everything. So it, it's interesting, yeah. but when people really don't like to ask for help, that maturity is when you realize, you know what, there are certain people in my life for a reason, and they're going to help me and not judge me. So makes sense. All right, good way to kick off your money. All right, so everybody, it's Kashmir Pulaski Day. And here in Chicago, uh, also, before we start, wait, before we start that, I just also want to share, if today's your birthday, you share a birthday with oh. Wanda Sykes and Lynn Swan and Taylor Day today. So those are your celebrity that's birthdays. Not, so basically, very, Wanda that's Sykes. That's very exciting. Yes, basically, exciting. Wanda Sykes. Uh, right. <laughs> and the 80s one-hit wonder and Taylor Day. Um, <laughs> anyways, okay, so it's Casimir Pulaski Day. And in Chicago, we have a statue of Casimir Pulaski. There is a major street. Pulaski yes. that exists, and I guarantee you, for the over 2 million people who live in Chicago, 
who have driven down that street and have actually probably seen the statue and didn't even know it was Kashmir Pulaski, we actually have no idea who he even is. So today is a, a, an official holiday, which I didn't realize that people are off work and out, out of school. I didn't know that because I've never had this day off. So I was like, we're celebrating Kashmir Pulaski Day? So I figured, you know what? Let's put people in know about who Kashmir Pulaski is. I did know he was of Polish descent. That I knew. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still a little kind of, I guess, not quite certain why Chicago celebrates it so much. I know we have a very large Polish population here, which makes me believe maybe that's yes. why this particular figure was embraced. But the key thing to know about Kashmir Pulaski is that he actually came over and fought in the American Revolutionary War. And he was he's actually credited for saving the life of George Washington at one point. But more importantly, he was an expertise. He was a general in, in Europe, specifically Poland, and had developed a very unique style of cavalry. And when he came here for the American Revolutionary War, he actually designed the American cavalry that they used throughout many wars. So that's who Kashmir Pulaski is and how he's relevant to the U.S. I still don't know exactly why he's relevant to Chicago. That part still eludes me. But at least now I know a bit more about him and, and why he is celebrated from a national standpoint is that he was key and instrumental in the American, in the American Revolution. And he actually was one of the few people that was granted honorary citizenship as well. So um, to thank him okay. for his hard work. They said, hey, thank you. here's a freebie. Here's a freebie. He never married nor had children, FYI, even though he became a citizen, interesting enough. So that's who Kashmir Polsky hmm. is. So you learn a little something. Still don't know why Chicago celebrates it. I can only think it's because of our large Polish population. If you happen to know that answer and you're listening and you want to expand on who Kashmir Polsky is, I would love to know why Chicago has a street and a statue and all that. 310-807-11 is how you can get involved. All right. So what's trending? You know, Mondays are hard. They really are. Because what we're talking about usually is something that happened Friday and over the weekend. So first, we do have to make note. Um, there's been a, another unfortunate loss. Former First Lady Nancy Reagan passed away at 94. Yeah. I was like, wow. Um, so she passed away. Obviously, the cause of death was congestive heart failure. So she was an older individual. So um, yeah. she lived 94 long years. You know, what's interesting is when I think about Nancy Reagan, um, obviously during the President Reagan, you know, the, the presidency, to me, she was kind of one of those – I'm not saying this in a mean way. She was the typical type of first lady that you would come to expect to be in that role. You know, she did all the things that she was supposed I just to do in regards to whatever, whatever small assignments she was given, like, you know, hey, Nancy, we want you to talk about this. And that's what Nancy went and did. So she was kind of like the model of what a, a first lady was. I mean, she wasn't flashy. She was very conservative in her dress. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it, she doesn't have, like, to me, that impact. Like, not that I'm being biased, and maybe I am. I do believe that Michelle Obama will have this legacy about her when she leaves, besides the fact that she was like, a child icon along I with mean, Jack, it's along like with Jackie, a Jackie, Jackie O. Jackie. Yeah, like Jackie yeah. Onassis. But I, I do yeah. remember her specifically for her Say No to Drugs campaign. That was so heavy. Yeah. And, that was the, and that's when they would send, like, the little dogs to our school. And, like, I, I mean, like, it was just a big Say No to Drugs. And so I remember that was just her platform, and that was her thing. And I remember that because – Everywhere you went, it was Nancy Reagan and Say No to Drugs, and it was, you know, the campaigns in school and, like, all that. So I do distinctly just remember that was one of her things that And that was that probably I, you know, the, the middle part, yeah, of her legacy. You know, and she lived for mm-hmm. a while because um, President Reagan actually passed away in 2004. I mean, so, you know, yeah. she pretty much was, you know, kind of on her own. I mean, her son obviously was been around, but. No, so but you're right. That was probably the key thing about her legacy. And mm-hmm. usually, every first lady has something they focus on. Like I know with yes. um, Michelle Obama, it's it's 
fitness, it's nutrition in school right. and things like that. It's been her, you know, childhood obesity has been her key focus. So every person he does have a cause they've kind of put on, on their shoulders and they kind of carry it that throughout the time that they are in the White House. And you're right, you know, her her focus on drugs was, was key. And you're right, there was like the dogs and all the, yeah. the marketing that came with it and the education piece. So Nancy Reagan passed away at 94. She was a long life, 94. I would love to talk to her before she died. I'd like to get her insight of what she thinks of how the country had taken a turn. Clearly different from when her husband was in office. I mean, we're talking. Actually, I would like to ask her what she thought about Donald Trump. That's what I'd like to ask. Uh, that's probably why she was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> she was like, I'm out of here. I can't even. I'm, I'm this out. Ticket, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm like, out of here. Planners, I'm officially yeah. out. That's how I'm getting out of here. I'm out. So she probably was like, I got to get out. So, yeah, Nancy Reagan passed mm-hmm. So, condolences to her family. You know, she's yes. a really respectable first lady by all means. By all means, very respectable. Yes. You funny you talk about first ladies because. Trump is under full assault. I think people are waking up, Nikki. They're, they're, they're kind of starting to figure out that this man really might become a viable contender for the GOP nomination. Absolutely. So now Absolutely. people are coming at him from, from all angles. And it's interesting because his wife, Melanie, I think this is like what, his third or fourth wife, third? It was, um, it was Ivanova was one, um, Marlon Maples. I think this might be his third wife. Um, somebody came across a photograph of her on a private jet. Did you see that picture? Oh, I saw Did a million of them of her. Oh my God! They're I mean, oh, I saw a million of them, and people yes. are like, "Is this really who you want as your first lady?" I mean, the world has access to what I would say is some very unsavory photographs of her. Like, is this really mm-hmm. who you want as your first lady? Well, no. But it's interesting because now people are trying to really attempt to deconstruct why this man cannot be a representative, you know, for the United States and the, on the global front. And actually, other countries are starting to weigh in about their concern about how Americans maybe are being a little too lax. And taking Donald Trump seriously, and they're like, if this man gets into office, we're not quite sure how we want to deal with you as a country. So now it's kind of right. to come full circle where now everybody's like, okay, we've been put on notice that there are people there that might vote for this man. Very interesting how all that's taking a turn. But interesting things, taking a turn. Anybody who knows me knows. I am a football, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sports enthusiast. That's actually how I got into mm-hmm. radio initially. And I'm a Bears fan, probably by default, because I'm from the Chicagoland area. Um, I was not a Lovey Smith fan when he was a head coach of Chicago. Um, I didn't particularly care for his coaching style. I always have felt about Lovey, and I know people will disagree with me, and that's fine, that he is more of his strength as being a defensive coordinator opposed to being a head coach, because I feel like there's too, too much responsibility on his plate to manage. We saw everything from bad clock management, personnel choices, just different things that didn't make sense. He, was just, he wasn't my cup of tea. So when he exited Chicago, I had no problem. He went to Tampa Bay, and I, I laughed. I said, let's see how long that's going to last. And obviously after two years, they cut ties with him, even though they did have an improved record. Well, guess where Lovey Smith has landed officially? The announcement has come out. He is the new head coach the of the University yes. of Illinois Fighting Illini. And all I can say is yes. thank yes. you for two wins in the Big Ten. <laughs> That's all I can say. Here's I the thing. Like, I did a happy dance around my living room, even though we beat Illinois <laughs> anyway. So I was like, two wins, two wins. I was very happy. I'm not, I'm not liking this. I mean, and it's been mixed, mixed reviews on this. But I'll be curious, honestly, what people think. Some people think it's okay. Um, I heard a lot of people, like alumni from Illinois, like, oh, come on, man. No, I don't want this. And then I've heard people say they think it's a good fit. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess only time will tell if it is or if it isn't, but 
I'm going to tell you why I think they brought Lovey Smith on board. I'm serious. One, he needed a job. I actually think he might be the right kind of coach for college, one. because He might be. I was going to say that, yeah. Because yeah. of temperament. Um, two, he'd sure. be working with players that would be interested in the tutelage and development of their coach. Absolutely. When you get to the NFL, Absolutely. a lot yeah. of that mindset is now removed because I finally have made it to what is the, the mountaintop of my goal. So um, a lot of players aren't really hot and heavy about being told what to do or being coached. They think they know it all, unfortunately. Right. So now you'd be working with a group of young men that will open their minds up to what you have to offer. Now, we all know the deficiency with, with Lovey Smith is that he's a defensive guy and not an offensive guy. That's a bad fit within the Big Ten. I mean, that's a problem that Iowa actually has. Good defensive team, very mediocre on offense. So he's going to have to go and get people around him that can help Illinois build an offense because that's not his expertise, and we've seen that time and time again, whether it was Chicago or Tampa Bay, that that's just not his ability. But what I think Illinois really picked him up, besides the fact that he was available and was willing to take the job, is that this season specifically, and, and running out of last year, Illinois, if you remember, was under heavy scrutiny. Players came out and talked about the abuse they were receiving in the program, right. everything from right. being forced to play hurt, um, being told to be quiet about the culture mm-hmm. in the program was, was, was really bad. I honestly believe they went and got Lovey Smith partially because he can help them clean up their image because he's known to be a player's coach. Uh, he's the nice guy, yeah. That's, he's just he's a, a nice, nice guy. guy. He's the nice guy, and they need that. Um, and it, I'm like, it won't hurt. You can, I mean, having being coached under Lovey Smith will will not hurt Illinois by any stretch of the imagination. And Lovey is probably like, and I'm going to make a lot more money playing for Illinois. I mean, being a coach at Illinois than I did in the NFL because these college coaches make, oh my God, it's insane. So well, I think it's about, a fit. Let's, yeah, let's let's talk about what he's getting. And it's interesting because. He is actually Illinois' first black coach, whether it was football or basketball, the two sports the program is known for. So, historical moment. Lovey Smith becomes the first black coach, so let's just hope within that being said that his legacy is a positive one. Now, what is being reported right now is that they're looking at a six-year contract work. Get ready for this. Hold on to your seats, ladies and gentlemen. $21 million in salary. With him being paid $2 million a year in the first two seasons. Yeah. Talk about a lucrative contract for a guy yeah, who made his way around the NFL. Has had, I guess you could say, I wouldn't say lackluster success. It's me. It's it's in, it's in the middle. It's in the middle. It's not the best. It's not sure. the worst. We've seen far worse from other coaches. So I'm not going to act like he's the worst coach I've ever seen. Okay, I get why at 58 he took the payday. He's like, look, let me just ride this out and, and do a good job. No matter what happens, I can walk away with 21 million dollars in my pocket. Who says no to that? If that's my consolation prize. Going to coach actually people who want to be coached and that are coachable, and I get $21 million and I get to – are you kidding me? If that's my consolation prize, I will take it all day long. Love you is like, whatever, everybody else. This is a sweet deal, and I think it's not going to be bad for Illinois. I don't, I, I don't think it – I don't really think it will be. He's going to have to get somebody to help him on the other side as far as offense. You're right about that, but you can do that. Like, you can do that. Now, absolutely. I will you tell you that. what I don't particularly care about it. Um, one of the first things he's doing is being reported that he's going to be hiring his son. Now, here's my problem with that. Lovey, you have a lot to prove because you're dealing with a Big Ten program that's one of the weakest in the, in, in the division. Yes. And a lot has to be fixed. I get people sometimes like to make things a family affair, but this is not the time for that because I need to know what credentials your sons have. I get you want to put them on the payroll, but they better be like, 
video boy and the strength conditioning coach or something like that. They better not have key roles because that doesn't look good. It looks like you stepped in and gave people jobs, and it's like this program is looking to restore itself and to be built. So I need for better and sounder decisions to be made. But the first thing on his, on his plate has to be finding somebody offensively that can help turn Illinois around. Because Iowa's in the same boat. I, you know, it's funny. I told somebody, though, you know I don't like Ferris. You know I don't like – I know that's your sweetheart. You like him. Um, Iowa's head coach, I don't particularly care for him for a number of reasons. But I tell you what, I'll keep him and I won't take Levy Smith. That's just how I feel about Levy Smith. He's not my kind of coach. But – the deficiency he's bringing to this is the offense, and that's what Illinois needs. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but historical moment because he's the first black head coach in a football program, yeah. and, and basketball's never had one either. So it's a big deal wow. with big money, with big money. So that's been trending money. all over the place, that he landed a decent job. So we'll see if he can turn the program around. We'll see if he's going like, to bring that recruiting power that people think that a former NFL head coach can bring to the table. So he's competing with the likes of Harbaugh and Urban, you know, in his division. So, you know, he's got some other heavy hitters that people want to play for. But we'll see if this can put Illinois back on the map. We'll, we'll see what happens. So that is trending all over the place. Something else that's trending all over the place, interesting enough. We heard last week that Caden Manning was going to be retiring. I guess officially it's supposed to happen today. It's supposed to happen today. So we'll we'll see how that pans out. Looks like maybe we have a caller. I, I'm guessing this person wants to chime in about Levy Smith. I could be wrong, but I think so. You're tuned in to the Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring comedian Nikki Braden. Comments about what's trending. You've got something to say about, about Levy Smith, don't you? Hey, Nikki and it's Jason from hey, Chicago Standard Newspaper. I knew it. I knew it. Hey, Jason. <laughs> I'm hey, doing Jason. very well. Of course, right. of course, our breaking news this morning, first thing I get when I wake up is Lovey Smith is hired, start doing stories on it, start getting reactions from people in Chicago. And I'll say this, my Lovey Smith is still – uh, a very a uh, very divisive conversation in Chicago. There are people who support Lovey, and there are people who cannot stand the man. Um, I'm pretty much in the middle, uh, and like you, I was not sad to see him go when he left Chicago. I did not, not think he was a NFL head coach at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does down here at U of I. Uh, the reaction of what I got from a lot of people on my man on the street interviews this morning was people were happy for him in that he's an African-American man who's going to get $21 million over the next six years. Yes. And he, you know, the first black man to coach at U of I. Um, they're very happy about that. But they're very disappointed. There, the other people are saying they don't believe he's going to be successful down there. So you kind of have it coming from both sides. And and I will add this. I, I agree exactly what Maya said in terms of one of the reasons why he was brought in to restore, you know, credibility uh, mm-hmm. to that program, especially with all disciplinary problems. But here's the other thing. Lovey is from Texas. And the best yeah. high school football players come from Texas, Texas and from Florida. Yes, they do. And U of I has not been able to recruit Texas at all. So right. with Lovey's connections down there in Texas, uh, one of the things uh, I believe went to the decision is that they feel they will be able to recruit Texas a bit better. And, and Lovey, even for all his faults, uh, I believe his strength is that he gets people to play for him. Uh, the guys always seem to love him. They'll defend him all the way to the end. And so now you're talking about molding young men. 
who are not making million-dollar contracts. And I think you'd be a great father figure for a lot of these guys. You know, Jason, you, you hit the nail on the head. This is Jason Clayton Palmer, who is a freelance writer for the Chicago Crusader, who always chimes in what's up with us. But here's, here's going to be the uphill battle that Lovey's going to have. Realistically, I do remember, like, when Hayden Fry was the head coach at Iowa, and he was a Texas guy. And actually, we had a lot oh, of Texas we, players. Oh, heavy. Heavy Texas recruitment. Team, but we also have people like from California and I mean and New York because part New of York. the pedigree of being a Texas coach was huge. And I do believe he'll probably be able to tap into that somewhat. But I still say he's going to struggle with the fact that you have Harbaugh and Urban Meyer within your respective division, and people are going to flock to that because one, Urban Meyer is going to give those players an SEC feel. Ohio State football, it may be in the Big Ten, but it's SEC, SEC style football. And then, of course, you got Harbaugh, who was a relatively successful NFL coach as well, and Michigan, which has had a storied or positive program. Okay, I'm about to throw Iowa in there. They had a decent season overall. So, Lovey Smith has some competition, not just in recruiting in the NCAA Division One school. He has competition within his respective division or conference. And I think it will be interesting to see if he has that ability – to get top-tier talent to come to Illinois. I think you bring up a, an excellent point with that. Um, and I think another thing that I've heard from people on the streets, and I actually heard this from a couple people too, you know, with this contract, Lovey Smith is basically the highest-paid state official in Illinois right now, as are most <laughs> coaches in all fairness. <laughs> and, you know, with all that's going on, we're talking about closing Chicago State and many of our state colleges and universities. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, is it in the best interest of Illinois taxpayers for us to fire a guy who we just hired a few months ago to a two-year contract to get someone to get $21 million over the next six years when the state of Illinois is broke. Now, I understand where people are coming from, but, you know, let's keep it real. Usually the head basketball coach or the head football coach at the yes. big state university they, yes. is the highest paid oh, yes. person in the state. It, now, yes. it does show you how backwards our society is and where our priorities are, but let, let's just say, okay, that's what's going to happen with that. But, you know, I find, I find that Lovey Smith hired to be um, – more good for Illinois than negative. Um, I think he's going to bring some, some stability, some familiarity. Um, they've also struggled recruiting um, good players out of yes. Chicago as well. Yes. Um, they have yes. not been able to do that over the past few years. So I think, you know, um, Lovey, uh, a lot of these kids know Lovey as the former head coach of the Bears. So, you Correct. know, yes. I, I just hope the best for U of I. You know, it would be nice to see that program get back to some credibility. <laughs> I don't. I want to tank. I want to crash and burn. I want to go up and flame. No, actually, you know what? Um, I wish Levy. I wish Levy. Look, he's not my kind of guy. And I'll. And, and for the record, folks, his twenty-one million dollars is the standard for yes. Division One top-tier conferences. Kurt yes. Ferentz at Iowa makes twenty million. Um, Harbaugh yes. is in that range. So is Urban Meyer. So he's not overpaid based on what someone in his position should make. He's not being overpaid, FYI. So he deserves a dollar because a man in that role. Is getting paid that in his, you know, in his peers. So I don't have a problem with with what he's being paid. It is what it is, and it's got nothing to do with the state budget. Illinois has endowments and grants, and they they know how to make money for their school. So that's right. a different scenario altogether. So it is what it is. All right, Jason, thank you for chiming in. We appreciate it very so much. Thank you, thank you. And just one more thing, Pulaski Day. 
also was a response to the Dr. Martin Luther King holiday getting passed as a national ah. holiday, which we know Ronald Reagan passed. And in Chicago, they passed it first because there were more Polish people in Chicago than there were in Warsaw, Poland at the time when this became a holiday okay. here in Chicago. So that's a little bit of kind of history on that. Okay, so thank you for that. You're a breath of information today, Jason. Yes, we appreciate it. You are on the, you are on it today, this Monday. You know, we knew we talked about who he was and how he was relevant to the country. But I was like, I, I had I figured that the love affair Chicago must have had with him was because we have a very large Polish population, is what I thought. So yes. thank you for filling in the blanks. I appreciate that very much. And no my problem. listeners Take want care, to you to track what you're doing. How can my listeners find you? Oh, they can follow me on Twitter at Jay Coyden, J-A-Y-C-O-Y-D-E-N. And, of course, always tune into the Chicago Crusader newspaper. We're going to have an exclusive story next week about female referees in the IHSA state tournament and why there have been no female referees refereeing girls' basketball. So you tune in for oh. that one. Okay. All right, okay. We'll have to have you back on the talk about that. All right, Jason, have a good one. Enjoy your Monday. All right, Enjoy your Monday. Be well. To be here, Nikki Brayton, we're going to take our first break. We'll be back talking more about what's trending. Talking those hot topics and headlines everyone's talking about that's trending. We're going to rewind on a few that we talked about new developments. We did talk about Peyton Manning retiring like last week. We, we knew it was coming after the Super Bowl win. Then all the rumors started to come out, Nikki, that we can anticipate that he was going to be retiring. Well, today's supposed to be the day. We'll see. But it's interesting because, you know, I'm hearing things in the conversation that I don't know that I necessarily agree with. 
I'm a Peyton Manning person. Um, I do think that he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, his 18-year mm-hmm. career has been, to me, um, he was a regular season dynamo, but not so much in the postseason of the Super Bowl. I don't think he was as dynamic as he was in his regular season. He just wasn't a big postseason player. In fact, most of the wins that he received, it's not because his performance was stellar. It often had more to do that he had decent defenses that could hold the line and allow them to win. So it is what it is. But, you know, I think it's interesting because I'm hearing these things like he's the best of all time. I'm like, look, I love Peyton Manning. He's not the best of all time. I don't even know who that is right now. But I'm not going to say it's him because he was, to me, the best of all time is indicative of a regular and postseason. You are a balanced player. And I just didn't see that, even though I think – Skill-wise, he's amazing. He's a Hall of Famer. But I have a hard time saying the best of all time. I don't know. It's just coming for me. And I like him a lot. And I'm like, that's a big conversation. Yeah. It's like one thing I'm happy, though, that he didn't talk about retiring until after the Super Bowl because if I have to have one more failware moment with Kobe, I'm just going to, like, I'm going to go jump in hot water. I'm serious. Yeah. I'm going to go jump in hot water. Yeah. And, I, and the thing is, I like Kobe Bryant, but maybe I'm just curious. Is it just me? But I just feel like. It's overkill. Every time he goes to a place and it's the final matchup he's going to have with that team, it's all the fans are like, come on, people. This world tour is getting a bit much for me. I'm anti at this point. I, I don't I don't want to hear anything else about it. Just let it go. It's, it's team too much for me. I don't know. Is it me? I mean, I don't know. I mean, no, I, I, mean I don't like that. the yo-yo thing that they do. And, you know, it, I don't I don't know. I think it was – I think Michael Jordan started this nonsense, like, I quit, no, I don't, and then I'm back. You know, I think like, he started this <laughs> nonsense that you couldn't pick a thing and just stick to it and do it. And so now, you know, we've seen it with LeBron and now Kobe with the I'm quitting but I'm not, and it's that thing around, and it's old and boring, so I, it's not it you. Just I just don't, it's, it's just old and boring. I'm like, all right, either like, quit or keep playing, and that's okay, it. Let's get to the final game of the season, and let's get, I get right. the all-star game. They made a big to-do about it. Okay, it made sense in that particular situation. But every time he's at a, a game and it's a final match, I'm like, stop. It's like it's overkill for me. <laughs> and I know what? It's got to be overkill for other players because last time I checked before this, like, world tour, the goodbye tour started, Kobe Bryant was not liked by many of his peers, honestly. No. He really wasn't. So I'm like, where's all the love coming from for Kobe? Because he was that Because they're like, go sit your butt down LeBron. somewhere. We, we're tired of you, and we want you to go home. Go sit your butt down, yeah, clap, I mean, and yay, not, go home. People thought he was condescending. They thought he was full of himself. Yeah. And that's why I'm like going, where is all this love coming from? Because prior to the announcement of retirement, he was not – if you would have voted, people weren't big on Kobe. His peers weren't. A lot of fans – I mean, you, either you had people love Kobe or they didn't love Kobe. It's kind of like the LeBron thing. It's a love-hate thing. So I thought it was kind of interesting. So um, – I'm glad that Peyton Manning didn't talk about this until after the fact because I don't think I could have taken a full season of the goodbye tour for him either. So it's just, it's just too much. Right. So that's, that's supposed to happen sometime today. Today is supposed to be the day that's officially, even though I, I feel like, look, man, just say you just do the press conference and knock it off, okay? I just think you're being a yeah. Madonna now. So just do your press conference, say your goodbyes, and let's call it a day. I just It's like way too much. So if it doesn't happen today, I'm going to be annoyed by this. Another story <laughs> That seems like it's taken longer to kind of unfold than necessary. So we have the Oscars. I think Chris Rock nailed it. You know, he held everybody yes. accountable, made his jokes more necessary. Um, people came after him because they felt he was really disrespectful to one of the most powerful black women in Hollywood and Jada Pinkett Smith. <laughs> I mean, remember Tyrese was like, how dare you disrespect one of the most powerful women? I'm like, really? I know she's wealthy. Tyrese. I didn't know she was, I didn't know she was a power base, though. Maybe I know her husband is. But maybe it's just right. me. I don't know. 
But finally, Jada's response, more than a week passed, I thought she was just going to let it go. And her response to me was exactly what it should have been. It comes with the territory. <laughs> right. See, when I, I said that, like I said, I'm like, that's his job. I didn't, I didn't understand why. I was like, he didn't say anything disrespectful or anything malicious or anything. I'm like, it had been anybody else that had started this whole Oscar thing, he would have to address it and talk about it and make a joke of it. And by him not doing that would have been him not doing his job and kind of be like, oh, those are my friends. But when you're a comedian like that, nobody's safe. If you're going to start a ruckus and it's this big whirlwind and you caused all this, I have to talk about it and I'm probably going to have to talk about you at the expense of what's going on. He did his exact <laughs> job and it does come. He it does. It, it comes with the territory. Look, I have to, you sorry. cannot be... I loved her response. She didn't get over it. Actually, if she would have gotten sensitive, to me that would have been out of character for Jada because Jada's not really right. sensitive. So she would have got, like, in her feelings about it. I'd be like, oh, that's not Jada. He must have really got under her skin because normally she's a real cool customer. Like, whatever. Like, even when Aunt Viv, I'm like, the black Aunt Viv, that makes yeah. me every time I say that. Even when she yes. came at her, you know what? She was like, okay, whatever. She didn't, she didn't let it ruffle her feathers. I bet she realizes everybody's entitled to their opinion, and she respects Chris Rock and understands the scope of That's what he job. had to do with his job. Yes. You know, so I was like, That's people, calm down. I just, you know, so I, I like the fact that I, I was surprised she said anything because it, it was so after the fact. I was like, well, you didn't say anything in the first couple of days. Why bother? Like, hey. He didn't know, say anything that show. bad at first of all. I mean, Aunt Viv came at them and started saying personal things, and then she didn't let that bother him. I'm like, the little joke that Chris Rock made was not that bad. I don't know why people went to the ceiling and to the moon with that. I'm like, he didn't say anything that bad. So she was probably like, okay, yeah, that I expected something like that. It wasn't that horrible. Everybody calm down. So, yeah, right. it comes with the territory. Calm right. down. Another story that we can do a rewind on, and I kind of, you know, I'm probably the person that – as much as I'm, like, not one for the government impeding on too much, there are times I feel like if the government needs to intercede for the safety of citizens, I'm not the person who's going to give them pushback if it makes sense. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. So remember we talked about the drones on Friday, how the drone situation, how yes. there was a near-miss um, in Paris, a, a flight was coming out of um, Charles de Gaulle Airport, and a drone, yes. um, the pilot had to do an evasive move to avoid it. And the first I was like, it's a drone. I mean, the plane versus drone. I'm like, oh, but if it gets into an engine, oh, it's, it's a wrap for 200 people in a plane. Wow, interesting enough. If you remember, people probably don't remember this unless you're like a person who's into this kind of technology stuff. There was a guy named William Meredith who um, shot down a drone over his property in Kentucky. Um, this was probably a year or two ago. And actually, he was cleared of all charges. And people were like, you know, you destroyed property. He was like, but that property was over my property. But the argument was airspace is open. So interesting enough, Utah is considering giving police the ability to shoot down drones. It's in the Senate bill called 210 that law enforcement agents will have the, the implicit ability to shoot down drones if they are in areas that are considered to be, you know, fly zones and things of that nature mm-hmm. without any explanation, they can just shoot it down. And I was like, okay. is that a bad thing? I don't know. I'm like, is that a bad thing? Is that giving too much power to law enforcement, which people already believe they abuse the power they have? But is that I a mean, bad I, thing I, if they shoot down a drone? No, I'd rather them shoot a drone than me. So if that's what you're going to do, <laughs> <laughs> shoot. Yes, get them something else to shoot. Yes, get them something else to shoot except me. I don't care shit what they shoot as long as it's not me. <laughs> wait, 
Give, give Ooh, them target yes. practice on something I mean, else. I am fine with it. I'm Here's fine with it. They're considering. They're saying that they will limit the use of drones. They said, you know, they don't want drones like around prisons and wildfires. Anytime it seems like it's aerial. Here's what's interesting now. The term aerial trespassing or aerial voyeurism is now coming into play. These are two new terms, people, because drones, people are mounting cameras on them. We have a situation where people, yes. a person mounted a gun. So now mm-hmm. they're getting into aerial trespassing, which is a whole new territory in regards to enforcement of laws. Because if we have, like, you know, you know, zones where people, you know, are not supposed to fly and things like that. But then you have a whole lot of other airspace that's undefined. So the reason why I think this case is interesting is because now we're hearing this terminology of aerial trespassing or aerial voyeurism, which is a whole nother kind of, I guess you could say, you know, ball of wax. Because think about it. You could have a privacy fence up in your yard. And, and I think in, in terms of not just private citizens, but think about news outlets and reporters and photographers who try to get that big shot. Imagine now if they're able right. to mount a camera, which they can do on a drone, and fly it like in an area that's supposed to be secluded or private, and start photographing or videotaping things. So now, honestly, from a legal standpoint, I do think this is something that has to be addressed because even though that airspace is technically, I guess you could say, public, you are infringing on my privacy because of how you were able to access me. It's interesting, and I think some new laws have to be evaluated in terms of that. Yeah, I, what what people don't understand is even though there's airspace, it's a no-fly zone, but what people don't understand is that sometimes there's an aircraft that flies at least three, 400 feet before it starts to ascend in the air. And so even though it's technically a no-fly zone, depending upon that aircraft and how they're going to you know, take off, you could still literally affect that. I mean, it's so dangerous to just do that in that kind of area. I think that just should be completely restricted. I'm like, what are you trying to take a picture of, the wing? The co- what do you need that you're flying I mean, this airspace that about, could no, absolutely – no, but think about it. Think about you are on vacation. Let's say you rent um, a house. It's secluded. Mm-hmm. It's private. And here comes a zo- here comes a drone flying in, and you're laying at your pool, maybe topless or something, or doing whatever you're doing in your privacy because it's private. Sure. Drones have really changed the ability for people to literally spy and, I guess, could loosely say photograph and report. And I do believe this whole aerial trespassing is something that, for the private, for the for the private citizen, might mean something. I mean, I think about some human, you know, some young boy who mounts a camera on a drone well, and he's spying on his neighbor. I mean, it has to be addressed because well, that's, it's, it's gone. Too celebrities far. were trying to. That's what celebrities were saying because they were in Halle Berry's yard. This is when it first started. Like they were in Halle Berry's yard and they were like trying to get pictures like of her in her private area and pool, and she saw these things flying out. And so this, this is really where the paparazzi started doing this, trying to get pictures of weddings and private events, and they started doing this in people's private property. And so celebrities have been up in arms about this drone nonsense for a very long time because it's like I can just be pruning my weeds and you just all <laughs> flying over my head. This <laughs> here is crazy. You come. <laughs> here, here you come. come. Right. right, right. So, yes, uh, something has to be done about it's- that. Yeah. Unfortunately, even though drones are supposed to be registered, there's 350,000 globally that are registered. It costs like a whopping $10 to register them, but you know there are far more of them that are not registered that people are using for, for various reasons that are probably inappropriate. So I do believe it's something not just about public safety but about privacy that needs to be addressed because people will always cross those lines and then want to fall back on what their rights are. Well, if you're trespassing and infringing on my privacy, which you wouldn't have access to if you didn't have the drone, 
I think it's time to kind of step up the legislation on that because I think people need to learn a lesson. If not, it's going to run amok. Like, people are already endangering the lives of people on aircraft, which tells you they have no regard. So if they have no regard for 200-plus lives on aircraft, they don't care anything about you in your backyard or things of that nature. So that's interesting. Exactly. that's one of the things we we talked about last week. A little rewind on that. We're going to take another break, and we're going to come back. Point of view. Everyone has, has one. And let me tell you something. This story we're going to talk about, I'm on the break. I've already kind of um, pushed my, my boat out from the dock. I'm rowing out to the island of Misfit Toys because I know my attitude about this particular story people are probably going to disagree with me on, and I take it from a personal experience. The University of Connecticut has created what's called a scholar's house to keep black men in school. Okay. We're going to listen to a report on that from NPR. Everybody sit tight because I really want some perspective on this. I'm not just being sensitive. I don't think I am. You're tuned in to the Mario Kaiser on Fun featuring comedian Nikki Brayden. Well, the man said we're going to start it all. We're going to start it all. We're going to start it all. And then he said, we're going to start it all. We're going to start it all. We're going to start it all. Probably aren't like you are welcome to join the conversation. 310-807-5211. Of course, if you want to get social with the show, you're welcome to do that too. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at the Maya Atai Show. Nikki, how can they voice their concerns about what your co-host is about to say? <laughs> don't not on my page. But <laughs> don't do it on my page. But it's Nikki Braden at Facebook, Twitter, the Nikki Braden, Instagram, and the chat room is open. Let's voice it in here. Let's go to the chat room. Okay, what I just posted 
on my Facebook page. And here's the question I'm putting in front of this story that comes out of the University of Connecticut, UConn, that has created this scholar house to keep black men in school. My question I posted on Facebook is this. Are black people turning into society's pet projects? Now, with that being said, listen to NPR reporting on this and then tell me what you think. We're going to turn now to a story about keeping kids in school, specifically college-age black men who don't feel welcome on mostly white campuses. The University of Connecticut has been trying to fix this, but its efforts have drawn attention to long-standing racial tensions on campus that have some students wondering if this new program might do more harm than good. David DeRochus of member station WNPR has the story. Ruben Pierre-Louis was inches away from leaving UConn. As one of only 600 or so black male students at a college of 20,000, he found himself lost in a sea of white faces. Wow, it's been a struggle. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. It's been a real struggle. Everything was just like a blur. I didn't know anybody. Everybody was just like, it's like being dropped in the middle of nowhere. I was like, okay, I'm here. Here I am. I don't know anybody. There were subtle insults and sideways glances. White students would often refer to him when they needed the, quote, black perspective. To be honest, if I didn't get that initial support, I probably wouldn't be here right now. UConn professors noticed his struggle and reached out to him and offered some guidance. That kind of support is what the university wants to provide by creating the Scholar's House. It's a living and learning community that will be a section of a dorm and house about 50 students. It aims to help black males with classwork and provide them with mentorship, counseling, and prepare them for graduate school. This space is really about community and it's about validating their experiences. That's UConn professor Eric Hines, director of the Scholar's House a name that's short for Scholastic House of Leaders who are African-American researchers and scholars. Any male student can apply to live at Scholar's House, but because its main goal is to help black men, there's been debate about whether this is some form of sanctioned segregation. UConn student Kaylee Townsend comes from a mixed family, but she identifies as African-American. This is a time to unite the campus. This is not a time to say, hey, Let's bring up this great idea that could be great, but this could be something that could potentially be harmful. She says she doesn't want to see racial tensions get worse on campus. There have been several hate crimes reported at UConn over the years. Racist graffiti and vandalism incidents happen just about every year. Ashley Woodson is the treasurer of the Critical Race Studies and Education Association. It's a collective of professors seeking racial justice in schools. Woodson says UConn is doing the right thing with Scholar's House, but these kinds of living situations can sometimes reinforce racial stereotypes. In some instances, we see that it does perpetuate this idea that all black people invariably have the same cultural experience, that they should or do have the same political commitments, that they have the same academic needs, and we just know that that's not true. UConn's Professor Hines says the Scholar's House has been modeled on other successful programs across the country. We're bringing the community together to have these conversations about men of color and and about all of our other student groups on campus who may experience uh, marginalization. When black males get additional support, research shows that they more frequently reach out to students of other races. And this, more often than not, tends to improve race relations. Both professors say the goal is to work toward an education system where programs like the Scholar's House are not needed at all. For NPR News, I'm David DeRoche in Hartford. All right, so excellent piece. I thought balance, 
I thought they gave a good perspective from both sides by NPR about the University of Connecticut, UConn, creating something called Scholar House to keep black men in school. <sighs> deep breath, Maya, deep breath. Let me just say something. I went to what would be the equivalent of your UConn. I went to a traditional school, University of Iowa, Well, clearly I was a minority. Let me just say something. If you don't feel you can thrive in that environment, I would strongly suggest you not go. I'm just how I feel about this, Nikki, because I think it's good. For instance, if you wanted to create a scholars organization for, like, a support network, that makes sense to me because those kind of organizations already exist. But I'm like, I feel like a pet project. Like, I feel like every time black people can't, people want to tell you you can't thrive in an environment, and then all of a sudden all these special criteria and exceptions have to be made. And I'm like, no, if you decide you want to go swim in the big pond, in the ocean, you have to be mentally equipped to do so. People aren't going to be there with open arms all the time. And, yes, it's going to be tough. And, yes, people are going to question if you're intelligent enough. But if that's going to bother you, there are other institutions that may be more conducive to the moral and mental support that you need to be successful. Seriously. I don't like this. I don't like it because, once again, I feel like an exception has to be made is that black people can't survive on their own without somebody giving an extra push. Maybe I'm just being sensitive. I don't know. Well, I, I will say this. That I, will, well, I will say this because, because I, there's some people who – I went to Iowa too, but I actually have a friend who went on to get her master's degree, and she actually said, had I not pledged – and been in a part of the story, she's like, I, I don't think I would have, because they, su- they supplied that support, that keep at it, that we got you, that kind of thing that she was like, that I absolutely needed. She was like, I probably, because this is not, I'm from the inner city of Detroit. So nobody, there are a lot of people who don't go to school with, who don't even interact with white people until they get into this environment. It doesn't mean they're dumb. It doesn't mean they can't thrive. It means like, this is just new culture shock okay. for me. It's just like taking somebody from okay. another country and dropping okay. them in the middle of here and be like, and go, and so sometimes that's why immigrants, they okay. all live together and they, they they yeah. all in the huddle because they need that yeah. support. And so sometimes people need this. I don't think this is a crutch like I'll help. It's just like I sometimes I'm homesick and I need just that, okay, we understand and we got you when you can't get that from anybody else. And so it's not like you're a pet project. It's just we're coming together as other black men and other people supporting you like, okay, we understand. This so might be difficult. Let's have, do this together. Why does it have to be a house? Why can't the organization exist as I mean, what difference does it make if this is a house or a hut or they meet one day a week? Why does anybody care how they do it? What difference does it make? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, who cares? And I know, and maybe, and maybe I'm being harder on them because my academic career was in college was a reflection of how my entire academic career had been. I had always gone Absolutely. to school. But everybody didn't to... live like you and grow up in Catholic school and go to school with all white people. Like everybody didn't come from that. But I get that. So here would be my question I would ask. HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, are, are closing their doors at rapid rates because they don't have the enrollment. Can I ask you why, if a person feels that strongly, that they need that cultural support, that cultural influence for them daily to survive, can I ask you why they wouldn't attend a school that was designed specifically for that? 
Can I ask that question? You can't. I, you you can ask me, and my question would be probably somebody who didn't really go to school. I'm from the inner city. My question would be like, but I grew up in the suburbs, so I had that best of both worlds. But I would probably think that you don't know. You probably figure out what's hard about this. I got accepted to the school. What's hard? You don't know. But then once you get there, like I don't want to go to school with all black people. I I want to change it up. But you just don't know exactly what that means. So what's wrong with Stepping out and seeing what something else different is. And what's wrong with that? I mean, I know I'm asking you, what's wrong well, with that? Because you decide I, that you. I don't have a problem with people. Decide. I did it. I mean, I've done it several times, so I don't have a problem with it. But I'm like, be prepared because what college is? Though lately, it seems like we're seeing it turn into what I feel like is romper room because everybody wants a safe space in order to, to thrive and to grow, which I think hinders that very thing when you have too many safe spaces. But just know that when you decide to go to what is coined as a traditional university, which probably means all white to a degree, is that what you're often seeing is what is a microcosm of the real world. If you decide you want to go corporate, you're going to be a minority. Sure. So you do have sure. to learn how to survive outside of, if that was your experience with being an inner city you know, child and growing up and only going to inner city schools where you only interacted with people who look like you, I do get the need for change. That's why I'm, I'm very much against that. I believe the diversity is important because it does, not just yes. black people, it's important for everybody to yes. learn how other people exist and live how in their people live. When we live in silos, when you live in a silo, this is exactly what happens. Because all of a sudden when you decide to step outside your silo, you're in absolute shock. Because it is not the world that you know, and that's a dangerous thing. And I always tell people, look, trying to always be with people who look like you are not always the right answer. It's not always everything in your life can't be like that because, one, you're missing out on other cultural experiences, but you're also missing out on a development for you to learn how to interact with other people and feel comfortable or deal with adversity when it presents itself. And that's Absolutely, but you have about. to learn at some point. So if you're from the inner city and you're like, well, if you can't deal, go to a HBCU, when do you learn? So by these, somebody, whoever, who is going to be shocked probably Pet and project. doesn't know how to interact with Pet other people, project. you've got to learn at some point. So either you go to a HBCU and continue to be with people that look like you, or you've got to step out, and then if you still need support because you don't understand what's going on, I don't understand what's wrong with that. What's wrong with Look, that? I, I don't I get this. Like Somebody it, help it, me through so, this. I'm trying to learn this. Help me. But, but and then some black like people go, okay. But these things already exist because UConn has all the historically black fraternities and sororities, so that does exist. They have a black student union. They have all of those exact same outlets that we saw in Iowa, so the support is there. What I don't like that I'm hearing in this is that in order for these black men to be successful, we must take them and put them into a nest, and we must coddle them to prepare them to go forth into the I world. I don't think they and said I, a nest and coddle. I think now you take, now you're doing that. No, this, no, a nest and coddle is we will do your homework for you, and we will help you, and we will do your homework, and we will, that's a nest and coddle. If it's a place for you to feel like you got a support and you can get out there and go get them, what's wrong with that? We see that okay, all the time. They do it for athletes. They do it Hold for on. everybody. When we were in Iowa, we had nothing like this, but yet we, we found that the people of color, specifically the black people, and we had some Latino people who jumped in the mix too, gravitated to one another because it's like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? So white people do gravitate together. And then here's what we did. We created, and this is what I noticed is missing, 
and it's even missing. This is missing. Now. This is why. And, yes. remember, and remember, we made this notation and we said, oh, my God, this is so different. We gravitated towards each other and created this network where yes. we always knew when people were in the union together. We had parties mm-hmm. on the weekend and everybody was at the yes. party. We created this, this, mm-hmm. this, this, this environment that was conducive to people feeling comfortable. I don't know what's going on with younger generations, but, Nikki, when we were in Iowa, we were like, what's wrong with these kids? Why, why do they seem so disjointed and disconnected? That's exactly Unlike my point. Were, our experience was different. Actually, somebody from Iowa inboxed me and was like, do you remember how di-? And I was like, we were so different. Like, I guess there's a big racial thing going on at the University of Iowa, and it's supposed to be this huge oh, thing. And I was, I was like, like huh? that, that didn't happen. I was like, that didn't well, happen on our watch. Because when you mess with one of us, right. you mess with everybody. And so that didn't happen on our watch. So we actually provided the support that's just like this. Now you're talking about a generation of people who don't do what we did. And, and they're not there for each other. So you've uh, got to create okay. the support where you can, and maybe this is why they're doing that. Perhaps then there's something missing in the cultural equivalent that needs to be addressed about how we're raising our youth to not be able to understand the sense of community and identity. Maybe that's it what could be very true. So the problem it is could be very true. Oh. This, this safe zone at UConn, we need to address that our youth somehow have been led astray in understanding what the ideal of community really means. Oh, no. All right. So I know, I'm just still filming my pet project. Anyways, but next story. <laughs> oh, and this one's a doozy. And I don't even know if I – this is what I'm – I'm not quite on the fence on it, but it's a matter of perspective. The Atlanta Falcons had to apologize for asking an Ohio State corner, which is an offensive position for those people who don't watch sports, if he likes men. Huh? Can you imagine in a pre-interview, and you're talking about, you know, um, you know, you went to the Ohio State University, you know, NCAA Division One football, and somehow in this question they say, Nikki, um, so do you are you attracted to women? Do you like women? How would you feel about that in the interview process? Like a uh, like attracted, like go get a burger and hang out and eat, like or like get with, like hang out, get a burger and play kissy face. How about that? No, Wait, what are you asking are me you that for? Okay, but is it an inappropriate question to be asked of an NFL team to a prospective athlete who be drafted? Is it inappropriate? Yes, that is very inappropriate. That's none of your business. Like, why are you asking me that? Absolutely. That is so wrong, too. We can't do that. This this is interesting because um, the Ohio State quarterback, Eli Apple, who people was projecting he's going to be a first-round pick, he had joined Comcast Sportsnet in Philadelphia, and he was asked, that that very question during exchange that he was having with them and the Atlanta Falcons coach was sitting there with them when this question came out. And the Falcons, it wasn't their deal. They apologized for it. But it's interesting because, one, people were questioning, well, why would this come up? Why was he being asked? Was there something Correct. Th- that has been heard about him that would make people say that? But either way, a person's sexual orientation or preference. Is, now, we know Michael yeah, Sam mm-hmm. was supposed to put the NFL on notice, but we saw that backfired in so many ways. And obviously the NFL is still not comfortable with it. It's obvious because Sam ended out of the of the league and was in, at the CFL, and then he's, he's obsolete and gone because people tried to embrace it, but everybody knew the NFL is a man's man's league. We knew it wasn't going right. to work. I, I knew it wouldn't go So on. my point just, is, it it, with knowing that, with knowing that with Michael Sam, if I was Apple, I'd be like, if I was, would you think I'd tell you? I just saw what happened to dude. So why are you asking me that? Even if I did like dude, you think I'm really going to sit here and answer that and tell you yes? 
No, well, absolutely not. I'm not saying so, that. I'm not me, answering me, that question. I want, make, I want to make sure I don't misconstrue this. The question actually, I'm going to said it wrong. The question actually came, it wasn't the Atlanta Falcons head coach. It came from one of their coaches, and the first question that he asked Apple was, oh, do you like men? And that makes me believe he asked him that because somewhere along the lines, it must have been mentioned. I don't think that's a question you ask somebody who you know or you feel is heterosexual. You know what I mean? I think somewhere along the lines, something came out about him. Why the coach felt the need to ask him that, that's not something that should be included in any form of a, no. a potential employer. I, I think it's really crossing privacy lines, and I think it's extremely disrespectful. Yes. It is. I so agree. The, but the Falcons, also, even if the answer is yes, I'm not going to say that because I know how the NFL, you've proven how you feel about that with Michael Sam. So even if the answer is yes, I'm going to say no. So it was. why did you even ask that? Because you're not going to get a truthful answer if I want to play in the NFL. You understand what I mean? So it's just a dumb question to ask. And you know, and it's weird. That. You know, the first time we've, we've seen these odd questions, um, I'm not sure people remember, like, back when Des Bryant, who plays for the Cowboys, was slated to be mm-hmm. drafted from Oklahoma State. He was a receiver. At the time, um, it's now he's, he's a former GM of the Dolphins, um, Jeff Ireland. Now he's with New Orleans Saints in their front office. He managed to still get a job after he asked Des Bryant if his mother was a prostitute. I mean, so I'm like, are, are you asking these questions for shock value to see when dealing with the media or these kind of hard questions? If the players can respond, because I'm like, he's very lucky. Des Bryant is, Des Bryant is kind of a little unstable. He better be glad he didn't yeah. him. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I was like, that's cause to get punched in the sensitive. eye. Even if you are stable, like, that's because my mama a prostitute. Like, that's bumping your eye. Are you kidding me? Like, are you allergic to these five, these five nuts? Right. You'll know. Right. So, it's interesting. I think the NFL, given these incidents, I think they need to send out a memo to their, to their team saying, well, you need to be mindful of what you're asking these players. There are some things that are not acceptable. I understand if you, you're looking for a, shock, a shocking question to see how they will respond to it, but don't cross lines about race and sexual orientation. Now, if you, it's fair. You can ask a question about domestic violence, like, you know, what's your thoughts on domestic violence? I mean, that's a fair question. But things about sexual orientation and racial questions, right. especially with a person who, who feels they might be targeted, is not an appropriate question to ask. And I think the NFL, they need to send a memo out on this because I think that was very disrespectful. And the Falcons it was. considered firing that coach because I was like, what? Huh? I don't know. I yeah, that wasn't right. Just, that's private. Right. Don't that's, do that. That's very private. So Eli Apple, that, that story's out there trending like, hey, what do you do when someone throws this at you? All right, it's a matter of perspective. <laughs> about what people think obviously is appropriate. I think much of that is not appropriate. Hey, what do I know? I think we were pet projects. But anyway, that's just me. All right, everybody. The first hour is in the books. You're tuned in for Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring comedian Nikki Brady. We're going to take a break, take a deep breath, get a little woosa, and come back and talk about some fringe conversations that's out there. Those are the headlines and hot topics that maybe aren't trending in your timeline, but whether you're talking about a couple things we'll talk about is there's now something that can be purchased online called Suicide Seed for just $5. Oh, yeah, there's always something out there. We like to keep you in the know, along with the fact there's a recall on chicken nuggets. We'll talk all about that when we come back from the break.
here officially into the second hour. Remember, we're all with you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2 p.m., helping you to officially kick your morning up to midday. And that's what we're doing right now. I think it's official, even though some people are off and enjoying what looks like to be a beautiful day here in the Chicagoland area. We are officially maybe hitting mm-hmm. spring this week. Though winter was really trying to keep its clutches around us, yes. this looks like the week we're going we're gonna to break free. That March is, is officially spring is around the Fingers corner. Fingers crossed. Okay, so, no, fingers crossed. So if you want to comment on these stories, you can. Because I like to share some things that you maybe never would hear about somewhere else. And there's stories out there that are just in different media outlets that maybe you just will never subscribe to it because there's just so many sources to get your news. If you want to make comments, then you can. 310-807-5211. The chat room is open, and you know how to get social with the show. Okay, first, Nikki, when it comes to recalls, I'm always, like, wondering, how do people know that something is really being recalled? You know what I mean? Because even though it's usually on the news and maybe the radio, some people just don't tap into things like that. So when you get really important recalls, I mean, I know, like, for instance, with vehicles, you'll get something in the mail. So then, you know, whoever your manufacturer is, look, we didn't mail something to the last known address of that person. So if her airbag happens to explode in her face, it's not like we didn't try to warn her about it, you know, that kind of thing. But besides that, like recalls for, you know, whether it's medications, food, um, you know, maybe merchandise you bought for a baby, anything. I mean, I always wonder how people mm-hmm. really get the information. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture is announcing a food recall in pro- that involves, and this is not too hefty, but the question is who has these, over 4,500 pounds of chicken nuggets that was produced by Applegate Farms, which actually is a Purdue food, not Purdue, but Purdue, P-E-R-D-U-E Foods um, company. So mm-hmm. what's being said, and I guess this is not like the worst of worst recalls, because I guarantee you can eat this and you won't die. They said the reason they're doing the recall is because the nuggets are contaminated with plastic material. <laughs> and this came about when the USDA um, did a, a food inspection and came across that this particular batch has plastic. So worst case scenario, you eat some plastic. I think we can eat plastic now because it's been, like, in toothpaste and, like, everything. I think that we are actually <laughs> susceptible to eating plastic. I we think can we can either. digest it. I think, I, think we, yeah. I think we've consumed so much of it that it probably doesn't even phase us anymore. This is not the worst and thing I've heard. Because, and I'm thinking these nuggets have probably been purchased and consumed. Oh, yes. Because these Applegate yes. natural chicken nuggets were actually produced in September of 2015. There was the 8-ounce box wow. package. They had about 18 pieces of the chicken nuggets, and they were said best dated before September 27th of 2016. That's a long time to have chicken nuggets in your refrigerator. Oh, I've ate, though. I, I've had plastic. Me and everybody in my house, we've had this plastic. We're good. <laughs> no, I'm telling you. So, I'm telling you. I've, I've window, eaten this. But I guarantee you, given the production date, most people, I'm assuming, when they buy chicken nuggets, it use it for kids. And they tend to eat them early. Like, they're not sitting in yeah. the freezer for a year. So I'm like, whoever right. bought this Applegate natural chicken nuggets, they weren't as natural as you I thought. Them. You probably yes, you I ate, ate them. You ate some, you I ate ate some plastic. That's, that's I it. Did. So, I, I mean, chewed we always are here the heck out of plastic. Plastic. Um, now, obviously, it's a concern when you get, like, metal, glass, or there's just right. a true contaminant that's dangerous. But, I'm like, plastic isn't going to kill us. But still, they have to issue the warning. But I think... Given the production date, these nuggets have been consumed. <laughs> oh, I, I've consumed. You, you dip it in a little, a little barbecue sauce goes a long way. They go down real smooth. You ever, you never even know you eating plastic. I'm telling you, dip it a little Q sauce. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, well, they're a little chewier than normal, but you know, I just whatever. 
And I'll be honest. Real smooth. This is bad. This is, this is so bad. I am like a huge, I, I know this is disgusting when I say this, but it's true. I really like the chicken nuggets at McDonald's, and that's bad because I don't <laughs> know what the hell they are. Seriously. And they can be plastic and those nuggets all day long. And um, probably, you know. You're eating worse than plastic. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I'm, I'm telling you, you can, yeah. you're eating way worse than plastic. I'm eating way worse You'll than plastic. You'll be okay. I guess from McDonald's, but the selects were good. But for some reason, I like those stupid chicken nuggets. And I, when I look at them, I'm like, why am I eating this? I'm serious. Yes. But for yes. some reason, I find them to be good. I don't know why. But okay, so um, FYI, check your fridges. If you happen to have some Applegate Farm natural chicken nuggets in there, and the production date is September 2015, you probably don't have your receipt anymore, but you can probably go to the website for Purdue. Um, dot com, P-E-R-D-U-E, and you probably have a refund um, that's coming your way if it matters to you. If not, just toss the chicken nuggets. Don't eat them because you may consume plastic. All right, so share that just in case, you know, you've got some in your fridge. Another story that came out, and I, I wanted to share this because especially if you have teenagers, and obviously this can apply to anybody, but this is something I think really becomes an issue for teenagers where we're seeing a rise in suicide, Nikki. And this is like a sombering conversation, but it's relevant. There's something that's called suicide seeds. And we're starting to hear more about this from a situation where a 22-year-old transgender woman died after ingesting the suicide seeds, which she bought online for roughly $5. And her mother Mm -hmm. is finally sharing the story. And this actually um, happened in Illinois. So it's it's now, it's away from this. And actually it was um, Calumet City where um, huh. Lucia Anderson, who was from Calumet City, bought these mysterious seeds that she had found online. And it's from a plant that's indigenous to Southeast Asia called the Carberia pandolium. Um, and it's from an e-commerce website, which means we'll get into regulation. There's nothing can be done about it. That's the thing about the Internet. Right. Great for deals, but at the same time, it gives access to people to some things that are coming from other countries that just cannot be regulated. And that's what's really dangerous about this. So these suicide seeds are called pong pong, and they are, when purchased online, um, you adjust them, and it's pretty much saying that it's guaranteed they're so toxic that you will you will die from them. So they're called these suicide seeds because they look like these seeds. Um, well, mm. actually, it's not something I would ever, ever ingest. It's no. But yeah, it um, it's guaranteed based on its toxicity that you will die from them and they are available on the Internet. And her mother came forth to talk about this, Natasha Anderson, that after her daughter consumed these suicide seeds a few months ago, um, she was being bullied because of being transgender. She came out on the Internet, um, and things just weren't going well with it. And, you know, she decided that she couldn't, she didn't want to live anymore. And she researched online, found these pong pong, these suicide seeds, um, ingested them, and I guess from... What we know about this thus far is it's a prolonged and painful death. It isn't like the kind really? of it isn't like you take this quick and, and easy. You're dead, quick and easy, like you're dead in an hour. No, it's, the toxicity is high, but it takes after your your body metabolizes. It's not a quick death, um, but they're saying that it takes like a couple several hours for it to happen once you ingest it, and it completely blocks the heart. Once you ingest it, so it's very painful. It kind of is equivalent of feeling like you're having a heart attack. Um, so now they've been termed, these pong pong seeds are being termed as suicide seeds that are available for a measly $5 online. And I, I want to share this story because I think parents need to be aware, especially with the rise in suicide among young, you know, our teens, 
anything that's this accessible for five dollars, I mean, that doesn't take a lot of money to purchase it. You know what I mean, Nikki? So it's just yeah. really dangerous. I just wanted to make sure that people were, you know, aware of this. It really it, it breaks my I heart. I wonder to hear why that. people would sell that. I mean, like, why would what? I wonder. I wonder what the other purpose of this would be. Like, does it serve another purpose? Because why would you sell it? You understand what I mean? If you can ingest it and die, I don't understand why this is even, why would you sell this? Unless you can wash clothes with it or it has another purpose, you understand, like, don't eat it. No, but you can, you understand? It's known for, well, here's the thing. it's known for toxicity. Here's what's interesting. From a perspective of suicide, not every culture, Nikki, frowns on suicide. I know. The actual, I know. the actual seed itself is about the size of a quarter, so it's not. I mean, that's still a good size, but when you're when you're talking about from a global standpoint, you have some cultures that are fine with suicide, especially when you talk about disrespect of the family, shaming of the family. Um, sure. Suicide is often an option, especially in Asian cultures. Not all of them. I'm not trying to stereotype. Um, where suicide is acceptable, and there's different means. So here would be a means for someone to execute this. So now it's becoming aware in the U.S. that, and for $5, I'm like, that is nothing for something yeah, yeah. that's so legal. And this is difficult for the government to even attempt to try to regulate right. and, and to change the outcome. So that's why I feel like parents, you know, healthcare professionals need to be aware of now there's something else on the table that kids can have access to. And, you know, you'll oh have some God. individual who will purchase this and, and resell it. I mean, it's just it's really stressful. It's really it, it's sad. This is extremely that, stressful because when even when you think of a teenager getting their hands on this, if they're being bullied at school, everybody has five dollars. Like we're not talking about some money they have to come up that they can't come up with, but everybody has five dollars. You give your kid five bucks to, for lunch. So this is really stressful because you know a lot of kids feel bullied. They feel like it's the only way, and now you would just have this app for five bucks. I can be done. Like what kind of nonsense is this? This is what crazy. happens then? I'm like, what happens if you get some crazy person who buys this pong pong seed and decides they're going to give it to somebody? They want to kill them. Jeez. I mean, I'm seeing multiple purposes with this. I mean, it it bothers yeah. me. Yeah, I'm just but it's right now among yes. adolescents and teens, and yes, especially with is. bullying. And here's the thing: suicide attempts have actually become something within the teen culture as being an acceptable outlet or solution to being mm-hmm. bullied or feeling inferior to their peers. And that's why I'm like to find something so easy because overdosing is another means I see quite a bit of when we get teens that come into the emergency room. Overdosing is usually one of the top things I see that teens attempt to end their lives. They, all the time. So, Like I have I just, had to call so many my daughter is coming myself like, I don't know what to do. My friend is talking about it. And I'm like, now i got to call your parent. And I, I mean, I've done that more than one time. And I'm like, it's weird because I mean, I really don't even know of any of my peers who attempted suicide. If they did, you didn't talk about it. But if you, you know, it was just a thing like, that's cool. You don't understand what I mean? Everybody's like, what? You tried to do what? For what? You know what I mean? It's not anything that's acceptable, like, at all when I was coming up. But now, I guess as a teen, if you say you at least try to think about suicide or you at least tried it, everybody's like, I, I get that. Like, it's so acceptable. Like, it's nonchalant. Like, mm, okay. And that's crazy to me. So it's, it's, it's nobody's it's alarmed by it, like, at all. No one's alarmed. It doesn't alarm anybody. Well, a lot of times people don't take... Um, the initial conversation seriously because there is a mindset even within, you know, the mental health field that a person who talks about suicide is a person who's crying help. Or generally people who mean right. suicide get the means and execute and do don't it. talk about it. Oh, yeah. And there tends to be yeah, a correlation with that, but it still doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have the thought won't eventually have the true intention to follow. Correct. So I want to share this because now here's something else 
that parents or individuals need to be mindful of that's easy accessible, and I, that's the danger of this. So there's always something yeah. new on the market that teens are doing, and, you know, as a parent, or just you have to be aware of it. So I wanted to share that story. All right, we'll end this segment with maybe an upswing. I kind of get a laugh out of this. This came from Mashable.com. A tenant does a very sneaky thing by adding a clause into the landlord's lease that the landlord was not aware of. This is hysterical. So this is be mindful for if you're a tenant, you probably shouldn't do this. If you're a landlord, you probably should make sure you read through the lease to make sure it has not been modified from what you initially provided to the actual tenant. This is so funny. So it was time to sign a lease, and this landlord sent the lease to the tenant as a Word document, not a PDF. Which is weird. I was like, don't okay. you know you're supposed to make that into a PDF, which means it's locked. Right. And nothing can be added right. or taken out. So it was not, So they sent it, they emailed it, and they sent it in a Word document. And for some reason, this happened in New York, um, the tenant was like, well, wait a minute. I can manipulate this. Now, what's interesting is that they actually didn't do something too malicious, but it's funny. Right. But what they added into the lease, they took um, clause six and put the lesser, meaning the lease, shall provide birthday cake for the leasee and the weekend closest to their birthday, which are June 7th and February 17th, vanilla cake is Love not it. acceptable. This is it. Love it. <laughs> so they're asking for two birthday cake, cakes for the occupants of the apartment. They also um, went in there and made an uh, adjustment about use and enjoyment of the, of the premises. I just think this is hysterical. I mean, Hilarious. This, here's the problem. The lease was then signed. That's what's funny because the landlord was not mindful that an altercation had been made, an alteration had been made with it. I mean, you wouldn't think that somebody added, added in that I got to provide birthday cake. I mean, I just wouldn't check for that. Even if like, I would not even check for that. Like, what? I got to give you a birthday cake. This is hilarious. Read your documents. The just read over everything. Just don't sign things. You got to go back and you got to read it. Let that be a lesson to Look, everybody. Know what you're signing. Rule of thumb is this. Don't send know important what you're documents to people in Word yeah, documents. You need yeah. to send them in a PDF. Just like you need to make sure that when you want someone to sign a document, that you, if you're using a template, please make sure you've made the appropriate changes so the, t- the template <laughs> applies to you and not to, like, let's say the University of Cincinnati. University of Ohio. Like <laughs> just, just saying. Because, you know, that makes the, whatever you're having a person sign null and void. Null and void. It's null and void. <laughs> <laughs> so templates are good people, and they normally are Word documents so that you can then manipulate them, but please make sure you save them as PDFs. That's just a little food for thought for my people who maybe aren't as, let's say, you know, tech savvy or not good with software. Word has it built in that you can export things as a PDF. It's really simple. I promise you it is. So I, I, got, I got a clue out of this. So now I'll be curious <laughs> if the landlord is going to um, – Acknowledge he has he to gotta come off the cake. The duration he got he has to. He signed it and it cannot be vanilla. Yeah. That's you have to. Yep. All right. He's a That's cake at a May. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> some of the stories that are trending, maybe not in your timeline, but we figured I figured at least they were worthy of of sharing to save the least. Yes. All right, everybody, we are going to take our next break. We come back. Say what exactly that. Those headlines that make you scratch your head and say that can't be possible. Because you imagine being in your car, racing to the hospital because you're in labor and getting pulled over by the police and it turns into a situation that results in gunpoint. 
We'll nope. talk about that and say what, everybody. Sit tight. It's Maya Kaiser on Plum featuring comedian Nikki Brady. We'll be right back.
All right. Welcome back. We are officially into the second hour of the show. Moving on to the Say What segment, and we've got three three headlines here that will make you say what. And I think one, for some reason, if there were any male listeners, they're going to be okay with one, which I'm absolutely not. But we'll get to that in a bit. If you'd like to join the conversation, don't be shy. 310-807-5211. The chat room's open. And you can always get social with the show. You can find me via Facebook and Twitter at the Maya Akai Show. Nikki, if they want to connect with you, where can they find you? I'm Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter, the Nikki Braden on Instagram. All right, so first story is say what. Can you imagine, and this is actually a story that's three years in the making. There's a woman who is pregnant. It's time to give birth. And because she's in serious labor, she's like, let's get in the car, let's go. No time for an ambulance. So they're speeding, her and her husband, husband's driving, they're speeding to the emergency room, and all of a sudden, obviously, police see this speeding car, and they pursue. So, of course, she's in labor, and she's like, absolutely, you do not stop. And a whole turn of <laughs> events unfolds that I was like, wow. But I kind of, I see a little bit perspective of the police, but then it goes too far. Take a listen. <laughs> this is interesting. As Countercurrent News pulls the story from News Sub, and you got to hear the audio on this because it's really interesting. Take a listen. A couple three-year battle for justice after being held at gunpoint by police in the U.S. is finally over. A pregnant woman in labor was being rushed to hospital by her husband when they were forced to pull over. Surely this is every expectant father's nightmare. His wife is in the car screaming with labor pains. James and Dana Reiner were racing to hospital at 1 a.m. when a patrol car tried to pull them over. I said, James, we can't stop. We don't, we don't have time to stop. So James called 911. You have an officer trying to pull you over? Yes, and uh, yeah, my wife won't let me stop. Your best bet right now is to pull over and explain the situation to them. When he did, this happened. Wife rolled out of the car onto the ground and continued to try to tell him that my wife was having a baby. Dana tried to help. Maybe if I just show him that I'm pregnant and that my water had broken, my pants are wet. More police arrived. You can hear Dana's desperation. Then the officers started taunting James. You're going to be in the Lake County Jail when you're kids born. They even talked about destroying the dash cam video. They were delayed for 20 minutes until an ambulance finally arrived to take Dana to hospital. James was arrested. What is going on here? What is wrong with these people? While Dad was getting his mugshot taken, Mum was giving birth minutes after getting to the labour ward. The umbilical cord was wrapped around baby Abigail's neck. Doctors said she would have died if Dana had given birth on the side of the road. In the United States, Angela Cox, 7 News. All right, so that was Counter Current News was reporting on this. That was a New 7 report, which is a foreign outlet, about this couple that obviously got into a bad situation. I, I understand, okay, the initial apprehension from the police because they were speeding and it probably seemed like a high-speed chase initially, but then they didn't have the wherewithal to call 911 like, hey, we're in this chase right now. Which, this seems like something from a movie. 
I swear to God, it, it does. does. But then the police took it way yeah. too far. Okay, they took it way too far. far. First of all, 911 can absolutely correspond with the police officers and tell them these these people are in labor, that kind of thing. To pull them over on the side of the road, okay, if my baby would have died because you want to be a jerk, that's a big deal. When That is, I mean, seriously, I don't have time. Sometimes you don't have 20 minutes for an ambulance to come. When that baby's ready to come, it's coming. And you don't have 20 minutes to wait so I can play with you. I have a baby falling out of my hoo-ha. What don't you get about I need to get to a hospital? Like, I don't understand that. That is so ignorant. And then, the, well, and then I get there, and my husband isn't there because he's in jail because you want to be a jerk. See, this is what I, I have a problem with this. You're supposed to save and serve and protect. I'm having a baby. You understand why we're speeding. If anything, get in front of me. Make sure we get to the hospital sl- safely. Bless your life and help us get there. That actually would have been the right thing to do. Like, okay, yes. you know, the police officers, you know what, if that's the case, they're going to escort you so you don't want to light in somebody yes. with you. Yes. Coordinate. I mean, that would have been the right thing to do. And if they were lying, you would have found out, obviously. You would oh, have yes. found out. Put a squad in front, put a squad in back, you know what I'm saying, and get to the hospital. Yes. So, but then yes. the police officers, I mean, they had them on the ground for for a, for an amount of time that made no sense. Once you confirm that she was giving birth, why in God's name did it go the direction that it went straight and tased? The score, the dash cam. I'm like, what does it have to do with anything? I just, but this this goes to show you how so many police officers get out of order, and just, I mean, you you took him, you won't see And then he casually found, said, "Oh, I'll get rid of, it. I'll get rid of the videotape. I, don't worry about that. I'll get rid of that." So you understand what I'm saying? I'll get rid. Don't worry about that. And he was like, "Oh, I don't care about that. Like, why are you doing that to people? And their baby could have died. That's the whole thing. Their baby yeah. could have died. And that would have been For a hell of a to sell the lease, because once you knew she was in labor, you should have been more cooperative than what you were. It's just, I mean, but it's, Absolutely. Just, it's just crazy. I'm like, this is something you think you see on an episode of a sitcom or something. You don't really think crazy stuff like this happens. And I get they were speeding, and then they wouldn't stop. But then at least they had the wherewithal to call 911 to try to communicate, okay, we're speeding because we're trying to get to the hospital. You know, my wife is in labor. Um, they probably wouldn't have stopped. Let's just say she was having a heart attack. I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping until I get to the ER. Great. Here's the thing. I can follow you to the hospital. Even if I don't believe you, I can follow you to the hospital and then check it out from there. If you look like you're passing hospitals, then we have a situation. That could have easily – see, this is what I'm saying. This is when your training and your technique is supposed to kick in. If I'm lying about being in labor, if I start passing hospital exits, now we got to chase. Now this is something different. And And I'm calling 911. The whole approach of when they pull up and the car stops, they're like – Get off the vehicle. They have their guns drawn, like, get on the ground. And I'm like, is this standard procedure? I mean, I, I do get this. And here's what I'll say from the perspective of the officer. You were just in a high-speed chase with somebody, and you don't know if they're being honest about the situation that has, has them speeding and not pulling over. So I do understand that you want to make sure they're not armed because these days things have gone so awry with people just doing crazy stuff. I do get that you feel the need to, you know, follow through. But once you realize this was totally legitimate, why were you still pointing a gun at this man? I mean, it's I don't know. Just, it's so disheartening that yes. when you you want to find a way to believe the police really are that bad, and then you see this kind of crap, and you're just like, see what I mean? Just when I try to be understanding, you see crazy, crazy stuff keeps coming out. And I'm just happy that the baby was okay, because they would have had a major loss. Yes. If that baby died on the side of the road because you refused to be helpful, 
they would have right. got sued for that big time. And I honestly believe they probably oh, yeah. should have won the case because once they established via the dispatcher that she was in labor, you confirmed she was in labor, but still, I mean, you want you made her wait for the ambulance to come, which took another 20 minutes. And it sounds right. like she already could have been at the hospital based on where they were. That would have been a hell of a lawsuit. I still might have thought, I might have just still sued just because of the emotional and me mental too. That stress is, that, that is. Me. Yes, and I had to have labor without my husband because you got him cuffed in jail and he can't even be here with me. See, that's a whole bunch of ignorant, unnecessary nonsense, and I would still sue them too. Absolutely. That's unnecessary. That was unfortunate that they took took a gripe that far that they didn't want to have him see the birth of his child. I'm like, I'm ready to die. And that's just, this is where the whole disconnect with law enforcement happens and why so few people, that's that's why the people in that video were white. They were just, I guess, we're going to terrorize somebody today and it's going to be you. But, I mean, it was just very yeah. unfortunate that that kind of thing unfolded. And I hope there was disciplinary action for all of them involved because they took it too far. Not to mention the threats they were making towards the civilian about tasing them. The man was absolutely cooperative. Mm-hmm. Folks, that's exactly the example. Cooperative man on the ground, not doing anything. Being cooperative, but being threatened will tase you. You know, we'll do this to you. Not necessary. Absolutely not necessary. I don't know. So that was a story. I was like, see, what? You've got to be kidding me. And it was all captured on video. That's why gas cams mm-hmm. and body cameras, I think, are key. Another story that I made me say what? I was like, come on, people. You've got to be kidding me. But I'm, gonna, I'm hopping over one story to go to a story that I have a problem with. There's a story that's coming out of Florida. Like, mm-hmm. I, and unfortunately, I feel like this plays into what we talked about last week, about people being predators towards young children. There's this 29-year-old woman out of Florida who is a waitress at a strip club, and she was caught in a shower performing oral sex on a 15-year-old boy. See? And the, and the father did what any good father would do. I know a lot of men are like, high five. No, this is not high five. This is taking advantage of the child. And even the boy's yes. response to it was, I didn't know what to do, which means he didn't have the mental. I mean, he's a boy, so I get right. obviously why his mind was like, what am I supposed to do? But here's what's crazy right. about it. Her name is Clara Daniel Stokes. She worked at a Jacksonville strip club, and it's interesting it says that she reportedly stopped by her friend's house, the home, around 10.30 p.m. to take a shower because she was in a trailer and didn't have running water. So what I'm, I'm, I'm guessing from this story is she must have been friends with the father is what I'm taking from this because she's at a friend's house. They didn't say the father, but I'm like, well, who was a friend in the house? Clearly it wasn't the 15 year The mom. Boy. Doesn't he have a mom? Don't, I mean, doesn't well, the kid have a mom? Here's the thing. It didn't really mention the mother within the scope of the article. So it makes me mm-hmm. either she was friends with maybe the parents, but I'm assuming maybe the father. Mm-hmm. And it's being said that after she arrived at the home, she was hanging out with the teen, like I guess going through his Facebook and stuff like that for roughly about an hour or so. And after that, she decided to go take a shower, but then invited him after sitting there with him for an hour, probably getting him aroused, I'm sure. Yes, probably nasty. Right. And then the father awoke, obviously, to hearing sounds that didn't sound like just a standard shower and came in to see her performing, obviously, this on his son. And he immediately um, kicked him out the shower, um, called the police to report, which I'm glad he did. And his son's response was, and this is what I'm saying about how young minds don't know how to process certain things, 29-year-old woman, 15-year-old boy. And what did the 15-year-old boy say? I have never been put in that position before. I didn't know how to get out of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Of course he didn't know how to get out of it. He was like, oh, my God. Right. Because he exploited it. Was... For an hour, she turned him on. Let's be honest. For a whole hour, 
on a of course she did. Lawn. I was like, Woman, of course she did. What's wrong with you? So she, I'm not sure what the Florida, what their laws are, but she's being charged right now with lewd and you know, uh, patient's act with a child. I'm just like, you can't. I'm assuming <sighs> it's it, she was the father's friend because there's no note about a mother being in this picture. And this gets back to you cannot trust people around your children, people. I'm no. I mean, you no. like to believe that people would never do something like this, but sometimes, you know, I mean, great, I'm not saying give all your friends the side eye, but I'm also saying be mindful if you have that friend that seems kind of shady that they might do something like that. I was like, what was she thinking? I, I don't even have words. I don't. I mean, I really don't have words. And I think that some somehow, because it is a boy, you do get a pat on the back. If it was a girl, if it was vice versa, people would absolutely be up in arms. If it was a man and yes. a fifteen-year-old girl, yes. and is that still yes. double double standard? But it's still a There's child. A standard, yes. And even though yes. that is a his friends are like, yeah, way to go. I mean, you have to like personally know how that. That's, I was violated. Like I didn't know what to do. I know this is something that I'm supposed to be like all happy and gung ho about, but it's like my dad's friend, and I'm in a shot. Like this is weird. You understand what I mean? And that puts a whole nother. <laughs> spin on it so even though that's supposed to be a hurrah moment for a, a kid it's still a kid and it wasn't so he was violated oh my god it I was can't it, it was predators and exploitation and you're right you you flip it and the guy might have went nuts had it been his daughter oh killed him oh and i think killed sometimes him. we're too i think sometimes we're way too lax about when young boys are exploited that way we think yes. oh no it's not a high five it's, it's exploitation of a child it's never yes. okay and I'm like, whatever yeah. they can throw at her, they need to throw at her because she had wrong intentions from the get go. So interesting story. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what? How how dumb? But people, this is just we had a whole conversation about how there are people who are trying to normalize that kind of behavior, like it's okay. It's not. And that boy's response was, I didn't know what to do because young minds don't also. Exactly. Interesting story. A final story before we wrap up the segment. And this is something that should be debuting on TLC soon. They do a series about finding um, long lost family. And this story is yeah. interesting. I was like, this is like, I don't know how I would even process this if I was this, young, this lady. Her name is Jenny Thompson. She's 40 years old. And she knew since she was four that she was adopted. She lives in Rochester, New York. That's where she grew up. She was adopted there, has been in that area her entire life. And she has spent like 15 years trying to track down her mother on the Internet. And when the show um, with TLC, the reality series, came out, Long Lost Family, she reached out to them, hoping that they could help her find who her birth biological mother was. Only to find out, Nikki, that the two women had met 10 years before when she was working part-time as a patient care technician at the hospital, and her mother was a patient transporter. They had had conversations and gotten to know wow. each other, had interacted, and all this time they wow. worked together. It was her mother. Here's what's crazy. She looks like a woman. I was like, did she never look at her and say, trying... she might be my mama? Because there's a strong resemblance between the two of them. To me, there is. You didn't think, do you think so? I don't know. I, I mean, they got mixed, they, that mouth. Right. Like, you can't find a mouth like the that mouth. on two people. Like, that's that, what that I was mouth. It was, yeah, that mouth. Yes, it was the mouth. But she's, but the, the girl is clearly, she's clearly mixed. So the lady is yeah, Caucasian, is. and the girl's clearly mixed. So, I mean, it's not like they look identical. Probably if she was white, a white girl, you'd be like, okay, no, you my mom. But because she's, like, mixed, and she's brown, and she has other features, it's hard, but the, that mouth area is a dead ringer for that. But other than that, you know, yeah, it's, but it I would never would have been like, you're my mom. She was searching for her mother, and right there, there she was, wow. right there under her nose the whole time. Wow. And what's interesting is, and I, you know, I think what's interesting for her from that perspective, 
she got to know her from an angle of just knowing yes. a person, which might have made getting to know her as her mother an entirely different experience because she got to mm-hmm. know her as a person because they actually worked together, like, transporting patients and preparing them in different things in the hospital. So opposed to that awkwardness of, oh, hi, you're my mother, it's like, oh. Like, I already know you. How cool is it? I know you already. And I I think you're a good person. So now the layer to the story is, why did you give me up, you know? So an interesting uh, interesting story. That's going to be airing on um, TLC pretty soon. But I thought, you know what, what an interesting story. But really, the whole time her mother was right there underneath her nose. I was like, okay. That is crazy. Dead ringer. Dead ringer with the mouth, though, for real. Ooh, that mouth is very unique. That's something right there. All right. We're winding down to our final segment, The Wind Down. We'll take our final break of the show. We'll be right back. You're tuned in to the Maya Concert. I'm fine. Yeah. 
Jackson's last call for comments. Got something you want to say? Last chance to share it. 310-875-211. The chat room's open, and you know how to get social with the show. All right, two stories I'm going to share in the wind down. And they're interesting okay. to me because they're just two two individuals. This is one I kind of threw in because I forgot about it. But I was like, there's sometimes I'm like wondering if media is feeding into a little bit of mud. So, unfortunately, we're going to talk about Donald Trump again. But this is okay. coming from there was a story that over the weekend Trump had a rally and in Florida. It was in Orlando, Florida. And he has this part where he asked people to kind of like raise – the right hand as a pledge to, you know, mm-hmm. making America great kind of thing. And people captured the photograph from the angle and how some people had their arms up or had their arms down. It looked like they were doing the whole Heil Hitler thing. And it really does look like that. And I'm like, people, it does. not misconstruing stuff. But the photograph, the way some people have their hands at an angle, not straight up, but kind of right. leaning forward a little bit, it does have that look like Nazi Germany. And I'm like, is he mindful of that? He probably should stay away from that imagery altogether because he's already being See, that's my that yeah. To Hitler. Yeah. You know what? I I don't know. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I'm not one of, but if I were him and people were making Hitler and Nazi ties and comparing me to Hitler, I would absolutely stay. We don't have to raise our hands. We don't have to do all of that. You can just repeat after me. I would stay away from that. I think part of him kind of likes this thing. And then if it does come off like the Hitler, then he can play it off and say, no, our hands are straight up. He's going to play off. He kind of likes this subliminally because I would stay away from it. Absolutely, no raising hands. I'm already being compared to Hitler. We're not going to even do that. I would stay completely. I would shy away from it. He likes this Take a little it. bit. I really he think li- he does. He likes it. I mean, if you want to yes. do something where you want people to be active, it's about pledging to make America great again. It's about pledging that they'll vote. Um, tell them yes. to put their hand across their heart. Tell them to do that. That's it. Yes. You can't go wrong with that. Yes. I pledge. Put your hand across your heart. Yes. Take your right hand. Put it across your heart. And that's that's a yeah. safe bet. But I, I'm yeah. with you on this. I think he likes. The attention, and some mm-hmm. people, I don't. I'm pretty sure they didn't mean for it to look like that, but unfortunately, it looks like Heil Hitler. And I'm like, oh my god! And, and the comparisons, Nikki. You know, when I stop and I think about it, the New York Post did an excellent article about the rise of Hitler and how it was so much like this. And mm-hmm. I know I, I, there was a point of time where I, I said to somebody, you know, when I learned about you know World War II and Nazi Germany, it was so hard for me to understand how people could so easily be swayed to buy into something to that magnitude when most of what Hitler was even selling to them wasn't really about them. It was about a master race he wanted to complete. The, most of them yes. didn't even fill the, fill the bill for Hell, he didn't fill the bill for it, which I thought was kind of funny. You're talking about this blonde-haired, blue-eyed master race. You know if you don't look like that. So what are you telling us about right. you? But people didn't make that kind of correlation because his rhetoric was so much like Trump. He was charismatic. Speaker, if you've ever seen – any of Hitler's speeches, I, I would tell people, just Google it and watch a couple. You may not have any mm-hmm. idea what he's saying, but he delivered it with a lot of passion and a lot of power. He was a phenomenal orator, though he was nuts. He was a phenomenal orator. Yeah. I have to give that to him. And he drew a nation in based on we must make Germany great again. It's ultimately what he was saying to people. And now I'm watching this with Trump, and I'm saying so many racist things and negativity, and I'm like, as a nation, can we be fooled the way that Hitler fooled? A whole country? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you why. Somebody did an experiment on social media, and this guy went around. He made a Trump pamphlet, 
but he put all Hitler quotes in it. And he went around to Trump supporters, and he read off the, the quotes. And he was like, do you agree with mm-hmm. this? And they were like, absolutely. And every time they would ask, they were like, oh, yeah, absolutely I do. And he was like, what if I told you that every quote and everything that I just said came from Hitler? And they were like, no way. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he was like, so you still support it? They were like, well, if Hitler said it, no. But if Trump said it, yes. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is what people were saying. They don't even know what they're buying into. As long as Trump, they will follow him no matter what he says they were all Hitler quotes that they agreed until they found out it was Hitler, and then they looked stupid. But you understand what I'm saying? If Trump said it, yeah. But if Hitler said it, then no. I'm like, it's the same thing, so why is it different? Yes, people no, can be swayed like this, know, and they are being swayed like this. I, they absolutely I remember, are. I remember um, reading Mein Kampf by Hitler and, and reading that and saying, Jesus, this is how he, he sucked all these people in? And the rhetoric was there. All you have to do is find that part of a person where they feel marginalized or they feel taken advantage of. Yes. And once you find that and you hone in on it, because Hitler has some Hitler. See, I just called him Hitler. Trump has people supporting him that based on his history, his wealth, and his lack of any you know, political knowledge, really shouldn't buy into this. Minkoff is actually people. Some people I think there's certain books that people should have to read um, mm-hmm. like that along with Animal Farm. <laughs> or oh, I love like Animal Farm. Oh, that Animal Farm, and, um, 19, 1984. All of, I loved Animal Farm. Um, Animal Farm was awesome. The Art, the Art of War was good. Yeah. There's some books I strongly yep. recommend to people because when you hear the philosophy, it doesn't matter who mm-hmm. you are or what race you are. There's certain things that resonate that make sense. I'm serious. Serious. Right. Even the original Planet of the Apes is like that, too. Um, I'm, not book, but how it's, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not reading it. How it's written, though. Because people all see the movie, but if I read the book, actually, I read the book in French. When you read the book, the social commentary is so strong, you'll be like, hmm. The movie tried to touch on it, but it, it did okay. But either way, I, I just find that picture disturbing. It's just another layer of why I need, I feel I need for people to wake up about the whole Trump thing. And I, I know people who are adamant supporters and are willing to discount the parts of his rhetoric that are wrong because they feel like his plan to make America better has to come with a cost. And I, I guess they're willing to accept the marginalization of certain people as a cost. And I'll keep saying it. I'm going to say it every single time we have a show. America being great, I can't remember when it was ever great for minorities. So that, that puts me on the defense instantly with, I almost called him Hitler again, with Trump. All right. Another story that's out there, and I kind of saw this article. You and I talked about this. Remember when Caitlyn Jenner did the interview, the reviewing interview with um, – what was her name? Uh, Sister of Blank the Blonde. That's true. Blank, blank of her name um, that he did interview with. Uh, yeah, Katie day. Couric. Was it Katie Couric? It was no, no, Diane, it was it was, uh, Diane, Diane Sawyer. Sawyer. Diane Sawyer. Yeah, yeah. Diane Sawyer. Um, and this was, you know, him before he had done the full transition. And shortly after that, he did the transition where he you know, did the cover of everything with, um, was it Vanity Fair or wherever he was on? Vanity Fair, yeah. And um, it's interesting because in the episodes of I Am Kate, he's talked about, he, he has other transgender individuals on there. And they talk about the struggles, the woes, and trying to find normancy in their lives. And now he's revisited this. And remember this came up in the conversation with Diane Sawyer about, one, I, to my knowledge, Bruce, I'm sorry, Caitlyn Jenner has not done the change. He still technically is anatomically a man. Okay. And the question was, do you like men? And he's danced around it. Well, now finally he's getting to an am Kate talking about wanting to date a man and wondering if a man will be willing to date him, pressures of who he is. And he's finally, he said he's getting a bit more comfortable talking about his sexuality. And someone asked him, well, will you date a woman? And initially he, he kind of responded like he was okay with that. 
And now he's like, I have three ex-wives. It's time for me to move on and get an ex-husband. So now the whole conversation about sexuality is coming out. But part of what he keeps putting on the table that I think most men will agree with me that are heterosexual, a heterosexual man is not going to date Caitlyn Jenner because in their mind, right. you're still a man who believes right. or is living as a woman, and if I, if I do this, that means that I am gay. So he keeps thinking that he's going to pull in, you know, a straight man being interested, and I, I, I'm not quite sure why he thinks that a straight man will, will explore that. I, I don't see that happening. He's not interested it's in not going is, to happen. And he's gay. like, my celebrity status is going to scare off men. I'm like, no, that appendage between your legs is going to scare off men. Nobody wants well, to some, be a part of some, that nonsense. All. Some will be okay with it. Some will be okay with it. But I mean, those is, those type of men, though. But if you think a heterosexual man is going to date you as a woman, you have you are out of your mind. Of course, there are men that like the Caitlyn. I don't know what the transgender. transgender. There are men that like that. Okay, you're going to have to date a man that likes transgender women. You're not going to date a, just a man that likes a woman that's not happening. So if that's what he's looking for, it's not happening. You have to date the kind of men that like you, your kind. But that's not going to be every uh, heterosexual man. No way. Because they're going to be like, that's a no. dude. You know? It, it, well, yeah. And I was wondering how long it was going to take for him to finally be honest about the fact that I couldn't. About the fact I was waiting was, to. That he was, that he was suppressing the fact of the whole transgender of wanting to dress in women's clothing and find that comfortability. I was wondering when he was going to get to the real conversation about. And remember, he gave every conversation in that interview with Diane Sawyer about cross-dressing and transgender, and we were educated about understanding the difference about pansexual and all this other stuff. But yet he agreed right. he would never really say that he had an attraction to men, and to our knowledge, he's never had a relationship with a man. It's never come out if he did. It's the best kept secret ever. So now he's right. currently getting to that part of, he said, part of being a woman is that he has to have a relationship with a man. Otherwise, he doesn't feel that it's an authentic experience, which I suppose that's See, true. But, you know. I always thought that. Remember when this first I was like, how can you not like a man as a, if you want to turn into a woman, the whole experience of being a woman, part of it is being with a man. So you still can't like that. Does that mean you're lesbian? That's when, remember, we were so confused trying to figure mm-hmm. it out and we couldn't figure it out. And well, I was I like, he I, just needs well, to admit that I, he likes men. I know what I think. I mean, but that's just my opinion. I keep it to myself, but. <laughs> Because um, it it's not going to come out right. So I'm just going to let it stay where it is and let sleeping dogs lie on that um, out of respect for other people. Because I know people have, we haven't gotten to a point in this conversation where we can agree to disagree. Um, people instantly want to demonize you when you don't agree with what the agenda is. So I'd rather just not even put my opinion out there and just be like, go do you. If it works for you, it works sure. for me because it's not my life. I could care less. So go do you. It's your business, right. not mine. But I, 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 would, I was like, you, I was like, why is he. The whole female experience isn't just putting on heels and lipstick and a dress. Exactly. That's not it. Exactly. So my He's th- more so to being a like, woman than that. be honest about the sexuality right. component because he danced around it. And finally in the show, I think he's found some comfortability and in, in doing it on his terms. He's finally saying it. But I'm like, I'm not thinking a heterosexual man is going to go with this because that no. would mean for him that you're gay. And I, even though you right. identify as a woman, that man, you still have the attendance. So. You're still right. a woman and a man, and I'll say this, even if you do the change, I still don't know that a heterosexual man is going to buy into that because in his mind, you were still a man at one point in time, and you biologically have to take hormones to keep this in place. So I don't think a heterosexual man, a true heterosexual man, is ever going to buy into the transgender thing and say, okay, at least from the conversations I've had with men, they're like, no. Once you're a man, you're an always a man. It's fine if you want to be transgender, but it's not somebody I would date. And I've heard numerous heterosexual men say that when I've had the conversation. 
So I don't think that aspect is going to have to be with someone who will date a transgender person. I don't, I just, uh, but a heterosexual male is not going to do it. I don't see it. I don't see I it agree. All right. There you have it, how we wind everything down. This show is officially over. Remember, we're on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2 p.m. right here on Blog Talk. If you miss any of the shows, never fear. You can come here to my homepage, as well as you can go to the iTunes store, podcast section, and just search Maya Kai Presents, and all the shows are there. Also, if you go to my website, Maya Akai, that's M-A-Y-A-A-K-I for anybody who's challenged. That's the name is kind of different. Um, all my shows are there. Everything in reference to the show is there. Nikki, if they want to find you when we're not on air, how can they hunt you down? <laughs> I am Nikki Braden on Facebook and Twitter, I do believe. I don't think that's right, but it doesn't matter. I'll tweet anyway. And the Nikki Braden on Instagram. Happy Monday, everybody. If you're in Chicago and anywhere else that's beautiful weather, get out, enjoy some of this. We still have an afternoon left. Go enjoy it. And if you have the opportunity, this weather should make you do it. Do something nice. That's right, everybody. And happy Cashmere Pulaski Day. Enjoy yes. what seems to be the beginning of spring. We'll see you all. Same time, same place. Follow Maya on Twitter at The Maya Akai Show, on Instagram at Maya Akai, and friend her on Facebook. Social media is bringing us all closer together. The Maya Akai Show. Radio never looks so good. Eh, I'm going to retweet this. <laughs>